1: Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis.
2: This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams.
0: I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian.
2: And today we're joined by a very special guest. She is a writer, an editor, and she's the host of Watched Once, Never Again, and the "Scarred for Life podcast, Mary Beth McAndrews. Welcome to the show.
3: Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited.
2: Yay. Yay. Uh, so this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And I am so full of joy today because we're talking about Josh Hartnett. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably talk <laughs> about <laughs> a movie also. <laughs> Not
0: even a movie, just Josh <laughs> just, Hartnett. Just Josh
1: Hartnett, yeah. So I, I know. Justin! <laughs> I almost just called him George yeah. Hartnett. Josh Hortnett. George Hortnett. George Hortnett. Yeah. Oh, I normally just call him. Oh,
3: oh. <laughs> also accepted. Oh. Maybe daddy sometimes. Oh, too. yes. Maybe yes.
2: Every once in a while. Vampire daddy. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, apologies in advance, listeners. This may be a Thirsty gin episode. <laughs> um, so what, Barry Beth, what movie starring Josh Hartnett are we talking about today? <laughs>
3: We are talking about the 2009 film, 30 Days of Night, as directed by Davis Wade. Yay, I'm so excited.
2: But before we jump in, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen 30 Days of Night, or it's been a while, and I just want to formally apologize to Laura for how many times I wrote the words, Josh Hartnett is so hot, in this (laughs) synopsis.
1: I edited most, but not all of them out, so. (laughs) So It was a lot. (laughs) Some representation, but not too much, you know? <laughs> Shall I? Shall I begin? Yes. Please carry on, <laughs> <Okay>. yes. <laughs> Welcome to Barrow, Alaska, a town on the northern border of civilization that's about to experience thirty days of uninterrupted night. A mysterious stranger coming from the north walks through a beautiful but definitely haunted frozen <laughs> sea. It's the last day of sun. Josh Hartnett is the town sheriff. Eben. That's right, not Ethan. Eben, which is definitely a real name. (laughs) And he's investigating a mysterious death with his partner, Billy. He's also sad and needs someone to cheer him up. I volunteer Jen, who finds him and his tiny eyes attractive. I volunteer as (laughs) tribute! (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for everything. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> hey, you know, more dog it for me. Exactly. It's all for Jen. I'll be your wingman.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you.
1: I'll neg him and then we'll peacock. <laughs> this, is, this is pickup artist corner now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Here, moving on. <laughs> Everyone is saying their goodbyes to loved ones who are wisely getting the heck out of Dodge before this endless night bullshit sets in. <laughs> Someone terribly murders a poor sled doggy and then murders every sled dog in town. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> Bo, a solitary woodsman type, is working on his pickup truck that's broken down in the road. Even cites him, but it's really just a way of letting him know he's still part of the community. Technically, it's sweet.
0: Yes, I wonder if they'll team up later. I know. These two guys that don't get along.
1: (laughs) Yes. Who can say? (laughs) Stella! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Stella, a fire marshal, and Eben's estranged wife, misses the last flight out of town. (laughs) Uh, I I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Now she's stuck on the, the worst layover ever that may have to involve confronting marital issues where the sun don't shine. <laughs> this sounds like a butthole joke, but it's not. It's a factual statement <laughs> about Barrow, Alaska.
0: Why not?
1: <laughs> oh. Why? 14 Alaskos, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> <My God. laughs> i sorry. <laughs> i'll give give a moment okay sorry <laughs> no
3: it's great it's great no one could probably hear me on the recording because i just like to like one of those toddler cry things where you inhale and inhale and like don't start laughing that's what i've been doing for like two straight minutes
1: oh uh, it's only gonna get worse i'm sorry <laughs> turns out Thank vandals God, also so wrecked the town pound- oh i'm sorry hold on <laughs> Turns out vandals also wrecked the town helicopter guy's chopper. Mm -hmm. I'm getting nervous. That means it's time for the radio station operator to get murdered by a very frenetic vampire. Whoa there, cowboy. Take her easy. He's a very aggressive vampire. Okay. The mysterious stranger has made it to the town diner. He's gross and demands raw hamburger <laughs> from the waitress. That's not a joke that actually happens. In
3: the- <laughs> it's in fact, exactly what happened.
1: <laughs> just so setting the stage here. Okay. Luckily, <laughs> even is there to save the remains of the day. But when the stranger pulls a knife on him, Stella is there for the double save, holding a gun on the hamburger loving weirdo. They arrest him together.
2: It's very well, hot. It's a very yeah. hot arresting.
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they just feel like, yeah. They, like, yes. It's like they're she making said. some
2: handcuff eyes
3: to each
1: yeah, other. Yeah, I was gonna make some kind of BDSM mm. joke because I just watched cruising, but mm. here we are.
3: Oh, I was gonna say she, uh, Stella can slam me on that mm. counter. As much <laughs> yes, she wants, but yeah. yes, that's what I got. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Currently, I support
1: this. More vampire killings begin. They uh, they kill people really aggressively. <laughs> Eben questions the dirty stranger in the holding cell while his <laughs> good brother, Jake, his grandma, and Stella all hang out. The stranger is less than helpful. <laughs> Suddenly, the computer and phones stop working, and now the power's out. Uh-oh. Eben goes to investigate the power outage and finds a severed head on a pike. ruh <laughs> 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 he tells the townspeople to go home if they have a generator and to go to the diner if they don't. They also call generators Jennies in this movie, so mm-hmm. I you know, pulled it up. And then um,
2: lots of Stephen King stuff, too.
1: Yeah, and, and several Stephen King things. The couple mourning their dogs are attacked by some sick vampires. They move fast and they're brutal and they look like goth sharks. She's sucked under the house to certain doom. Jake is grabbed by the mysterious stranger. Eben shoots him and demands to know what's up, Jack Bauer style. <laughs> the stranger says he doesn't talk to dead men, which is, frankly, rude. <laughs> Eben and Stella go to find the killers. On the way there, they see vampires running after them. One jumps on top of the Jeep and punches through the roof. Still, they manage to get away. Back at the station, Jake and Eben's grandmother are gone. Wait, Jake and Eben's grandmother are gone. I guess it's... We don't need to focus yeah. on it. Okay. <laughs> but the stranger is still there the vampires didn't take him they never do and he wants even to put him out of his misery he doesn't but he will get unceremoniously killed by the vampires a little bit later mm-hmm. now we meet our vamps led by zaddy Marlowe and get some rules yeah the one that i find attractive is Marlowe in this movie also no. he- oh don't worry oh, yeah
3: you will hear how horny I am for literally, <laughs> not every, but a lot of people in this <laughs> Oh, <movie>. yes.
1: <laughs> it's a very attractive cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So from Marlowe, we get the rules. They have to separate the heads from the bodies to prevent turning their human victims into more vampires. They're here for a 30-day feeding frenzy. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Survivors are <laughs> gathering in the diner. Chaos reigns on Main Street as the vampires round up and slaughter the townspeople. It's brutal, snowy, and dare I say, epic? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Stella and Evan get back to the diner, where survivors are huddled up. They need to figure out a place to hide for... How long was it again? Oh, right. <laughs> 30 days. <laughs> of night. To <Doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. laughs> chiller line. Okay. <laughs> the plan is to hide in the attic of a boarded-up house. On the way, Stella and Evan get stuck in a vamp trap. They flip their car over and pull them out. A town hermit bow and his truck are there to save the day. I think we should all do this part together. Call, Call Mr. Mr. Flow, because yes, that's, that's his name.
2: That, that name, his name again, again
0: is, is Mr. 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 Flow. <laughs> the and back our editor, album guys.
2: is dropping.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if Mr. Flow showed up, there'd be a thousand dollar bill in for it. <laughs> Which present is on it? Oh. All of them. <laughs>
2: like Yeah, check out our Patreon for a full recap of that entire episode. It's it's great.
0: (laughs) If you, what would the $1,000 level of Patreon get?
1: Uh, Mm. I think you would have to do a therapy session with the donator. I would wearing the mr plow, plow jacket i would
0: i would go i would definitely do that i would hire myself out to like a kid's birthday party for a thousand dollars and we just
1: reenact, sit there and analyze hor- like adult and, horror films let's talk and reenact, about
0: trauma in we all of a human centipede no
1: mike no kids party why that would be all a really fun it. pinata though um <laughs> okay I'm sorry. It's all chocolate candy. Okay. uh, (laughs) Oh, God! Jesus! I'm sorry. (laughs) Mike brought it up. Mike started it. Okay. The gang gets to the house and hides. From inside, they hear gunshots and screams. (laughs) Even tells everyone they have two advantages. They know the town and they know the cold. They live here because no one else can. So they can do this as long as they stay hidden. And now we're in the remaining 30 days part of the movie which thankfully includes some time lapses. 18 days in, a blizzard hits. The group uses the storm as cover to sneak to the general store for supplies. They get there without issue, but inside they hear strange noises. They're coming from a little girl vampire eating a person. She's terrifying and, to be honest, pretty mean. (laughs) They fight her, and Eben's brother cuts her head off with an axe. He does not relish the experience. <laughs> As the storm winds down, they realize they're stranded at the store with no cover. The new plan is to get Granny's grow light to... Oh, she grew weed. I think yeah. I forgot to mention that. To create a diversion so the rest can get to the police station and hide. Eben distracts the vampires with yelling and distracts Jen with being hot. This is Jen's opinion, not mine. I just want to emphasize this. Okay. <laughs> Eben manages to get a generator started and turn on the sun lamp, which actually does burn the hell out of one of the vampires. The plan successfully distracts them and allows most of the others to get away. But now there are a ton of vamps on Eben's trail. It's Bo's turn to cause a distraction. He plows through Vamp Town with his awesome snow plow, tearing oh, through no, he's lots plowing. of them. He does. <laughs> it's great. It's good. it's very specific seasonal plowing, uh, tearing through lots of them. But ultimately, getting attacked and vamped when it turns out he's not quite dead. So long, sweet Mr. Plow. It's day 27. Eben discovers that Billy and his preposterously white (laughs) teeth are still alive. However, his family is not. I like to, you know, do a a one-two punch (laughs) here. He killed them all to avoid the vampires, but the gun jammed before he could shoot himself. Woof, woof.
0: (laughs) Claims.
1: Yeah, this you may know, have just been an elaborate excuse right. to get rid of his family. Oh. Next up on Netflix, an Alaskan movie. Um, this is using early social media footage from the early 2000s. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, oh, boy. Okay. Or I swear we're, we're more than halfway through. Okay, they get back and the station is empty. Billy, Stella, and even <laughs> venture out to the Utilidor which, if you're wondering, is a power and sewage treatment plant with lots of pipes and gears that will definitely be used to grind somebody up. It's not just a really
2: cool door.
1: Yeah, when I read the, the when I... Because, like, yeah, I first read it, and I was like, I didn't catch that's what they called it in the movie, and I was imagining just a door that I missed. Anyway, <laughs> like but a bloody child else. is wandering the street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll take that one. <laughs> However... A bloody child is wandering the street. (laughs) Stella grabs her, even though she's definitely bait. They all run for the Utilidor, but get separated. Even and Billy get to the building, but Stella is still out in the frigid air, hiding with the little girl. In the Utilidor, Even and Billy get attacked by a grinning vampire. Billy gets vamped, but manages to throw the vamp in the grinder. Prophecy fulfilled. (laughs) Unfortunately, Billy's arm also gets grinded, and he's transforming into a vampire and screaming a lot! And holy shit, enough already! Even mercifully cuts off his head. It's now one day till sunrise, but Stella is still missing. Turns out she's hiding under a car with the girl and they're slowly freezing to death. Even wants to come get her, but there are vamps everywhere. Over a walkie-talkie, Evans tells Stella that they're going to watch the sun come up tomorrow. She says she should never have left him. Troubled couples, take note. All you have to do is share a series of horrendous supernatural tragedies together and your relationship will be good as new.
2: (laughs) We call that the
0: speed law. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: <laughs> try it. You'll like it.
0: I've done uh, this in couples counseling with families.
1: Oh yeah. Vampire. It's uh the extreme therapy haunted house. Oh. Okay. And that's what they call CBT.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, no, I'm not gonna try to make a joke there. Let's just calm down, Laura. <laughs> calm down. Okay. <laughs> the vamps the vamps new plan is to burn down the town. There's fire everywhere, and no one will know what happened. And they'll take out the next town and the next and the next (laughs) and the world and then the world (laughs) even injects himself with vampire blood because he realizes he can't fight them with human strength alone. And there's a period of anywhere from like 15 minutes to three hours where you aren't a total amoral monster yet. Do you have something to say here,
2: Jen? I I do. Yes. (laughs) Josh Hartnett painfully becomes the hottest vampire since Eric Northman. Jen has an existential crisis trying to figure out which one is hotter. (laughs)
1: i had to i just had to have kids
2: um if you have uh ideas about that listeners please feel free to send me lots of pictures proving uh your point
1: high resolution (laughs) okay it's time for a good old-fashioned vampire showdown even squares off with marlo the zaddy leader of the pack (laughs) even though if they all just attack even at the same time he'd be totally fucked but where's the fun in that after some fisticuffs, Eben punches through Marlo's face and his brain falls out and splats on the ground. The remaining vamps scatter, having had enough of this bullshit. Stella and Eben reunite, and now the sun's coming up, which means they have just a few more minutes together. Why? <laughs> Hi) I think that might have been remained a little type of it, it just looks like... Hi. Hi. Uh, Come here. Often. we're almost at the end oh Oh, boy I still eat that whole part in editing (laughs) hi okay (laughs) they sit together on a hillside overlooking the gorgeous frozen sea Eben holds his wedding ring as they share a final kiss finally the sun crests the horizon and as it hits Eben he chars like a marshmallow in a campfire Stella holds him as he dies Cue a very bleak credit sequence that The Walking Dead will totally rip off three years later. The end. That's 30 days. Mr. Plow. The name again is
2: is Mr. Mr. Plow Plow of Night. night. Yay. Yay.
0: 30 days of plowing.
2: (laughs) I mean, look, if I'm stuck in a town with Josh Hartnett for 30 days, then.
0: There's uh, a lot of plowing (laughs) going on. That's what you're saying.
2: (laughs) I mean, ideally. (laughs) Ooh. All right, so now let's do a feelings check. And this is when we share our first experience with 30 Days of Night and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Mary Beth, you chose this movie and I've seen you blah, 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 blah. and I've seen and read you mention this oh, fuck. No words. All right. Mary Beth, <laughs> I would love to hear about your first experience. <laughs> I know that you love this movie and I would love to hear about uh, your first experience with it and how it makes you feel.
3: <laughs> um. Okay, so I saw this movie, like it had just come out. Uh, I was like early teenager. And so it has a, it was a blockbuster <laughs> one evening with my dad. And I saw it, it looked like it had like the blood over the cover with vampire face and Josh Hartnett and Melissa George in the corner. And so I, I wanted that to be the movie for the night with, myself, with my dad. So we went back and watched it, and I was immediately obsessed with it, and I went home and immediately bought it at the mall the next day, made my mom watch it with my stepdad, and then I watched it again myself. So I watched it three times in one weekend, the first time that I saw it. Um, I had a thing, because I have OCD, so I get fixated on things a lot of the time, and that became a like, big, my weird fixation movie for a while. Like, I just really liked it, because I really liked vampires. Mm-hmm. And I also think Josh mm-hmm. and was really, his heart it was really hot. And I think it was just a movie that felt like a very good piece of escapism for me for a long time. So I have seen it so many times. I can, mm-hmm. fortunately, like <laughs> recite it by heart. I own all the comic books, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love. This movie. Oh wow! Oh yeah,
2: that's awesome. Okay, yeah. and is it? It's so it's a series of comic books that it's based on, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So like, the, so the first, well, the first movie is based on the first comic book and it's all kind of like self-contained, but then there's like a franchise kind of split off from it. So mm-hmm. the second, there's a second one that is like a direct sequel and then it all kind of goes from there. There's like even an X-Files 30 days of night crossover.
1: Ooh,
2: that sounds fun. That
3: yeah. Does sound sounds
2: fun. <laughs> Mike, what about you?
0: So I actually came to this through the graphic novel. Like I had read, the graphic novel first. It had been out, I think since 2001, 2002, it was written by Stephen Niles. And I had known him because he was like a drummer in like a bunch of like DC hardcore bands. that had put out music on discord records. And that would have been a time period where from like, it's on discord. I'm picking it up. Uh, he mm-hmm. was like, I think the drummer in gray matter. And it was an amazing like graphic novel, like Ben templesmith's art is fantastic. It's kind of, reminiscent of like grant morrison's work in uh, arkham asylum like that really cool painted abstract look um and it was such a simple concept that it was almost like how has no one ever done this before uh like what a very cool idea for like a vampire comic book so when the movie came out i was there pretty quickly saw it enjoyed it in theaters and Never for whatever reason like return to it again. Like I remember liking it in theaters, but it was one of those movies where I'm like, hey, maybe I'll watch this. right now I'll watch this instead. And I swear to God, I thought I owned it. Like I thought I must have picked this up on like Blu-ray at one point when it was like four ninety-nine on Amazon. And I think it's one of those things where when I went through my collection, I'm like, nope, I don't own this. I probably had it in my cart like a half dozen times and never bought it. I'm like, why? is that and then i rewatched it for the show <laughs> yesterday and i'm like oh that's why it's good it's definitely like it's a good past the time type of movie but it's very 2007 it's definitely comes from that era of time where when you look at the movies of that era i mean it's like right in the middle of like the torture porn era where saw hostile teresa's Wolf Creek, the new wave of French movies. I think An American Crime had just come out, which is based on a real life case of like a woman that like tortured her stepchildren or her foster children to death, like really grim. Started, I think that starts Elliot Page in one of his early roles. And it's funny because Elliot Page worked with the director David Slade in Hard Candy.
3: Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is a right, pretty
0: okay. chilling movie. So I would say, like, I think the first. 30 minutes of this is pretty great. And I think if you cut 25 minutes out of it and make it 90 minutes, you have an awesome movie. But I remember pausing it at about an hour and 10 minutes in going, there's 45 minutes left. And it's kind of like the the description in my mind was like, if you're a kid that ever got caught smoking and your parents made you smoke the whole pack after, and you never smoked again, It was like that after watching this, like after it, I'm like, I just need like non horror movies for the rest of the day, (laughs) just to kind of like reset a little bit. But there's like some, it also looks a lot like, like Zack Snyder would have directed like it's really desaturated um there are some really cool action sequences yeah and like the blood looks like really like brackish colored like more black than red Mm -hmm. although that might just be so you don't get like an n17 rating but there's some like really smart ideas in here like the sense of isolation i think was something as a country to thinking of where we were in 2007 and we're coming to grips with like why are we in these two wars nation building when the economy is and everything going on at home is so terrible um, it definitely taps into like xenophobic fears of others coming in and taking over our way of life and there were moments like the stand that the survivors put up to me had like a real kind of like flight 93 type of feel to it so there was mm. just like these oddly really decent, in this kind of like I would call you know like a B movie some really smart ideas going on in here as well so it's definitely it's funny because like we were do, like we were talking a bit about like what makes a comfort horror movie as we always do you know like to me I'm like what this movie lacks is a lot of fun uh it's really well done and kudos to making vampires scary again, and really going for it. And it has one of my favorite shots ever in a vampire movie, which we'll talk about later. But I'm like, man, if this just added a little bit of humor to it, just a little bit to balance it out, um, I think I would love it.
1: Laura, what about you? Yeah, so I also saw it sometime around when it came out. I, I don't know if I saw it in theaters. I may have seen it um, in the on DVD or on some early streaming thing. I really don't know, but I did really enjoy it a lot. At that point, I um, always been a big vampire person. I like vampire movies, I'll eat them up all day. Mm -hmm. And I just remember really enjoying this. And what revisiting it was interesting, because it has been a long time since I've seen it. I, I had a little bit of a similar experience this go around. And I don't know if it's just where I am mentally at the moment. I do think the first 45 minutes are solid as hell. I think the pacing is great. And I think the vampires are terrifying. I love the like the creature design, which I'll talk about more. A lot of the performances are really solid. I do struggle with the pacing. Pretty much once they hit the attic, and then they start going into the like remaining thirty days. I just find it really bleak, uh, and it kind of puts me in a gloomy or depressed mood. Like very similar to the Walking Dead TV series, which I do think took a lot of notes from this movie in terms of like a band of survivors dealing with this and it being kind of a meta commentary on a lot of social situations. And I, and, and like Mike said, I really do think it is a reflection of the time. Um, it was the tail end of the Bush era. Even the oil drilling aspect of the town, there's a se- sequence where there's oil spilling everywhere as the vampires set fire to the town. It looks exactly like black blood in the moonlight. Like you were saying, a lot of the blood is kind of brackish. It all feels like a serious meta commentary on the time and the forever war that we were slash still kind of are in. <laughs> I think it was a. it's a really well-made movie. I just could not really enjoy watching it this go-around, mostly because it just, especially once you get into the latter half of the movie, I just felt like, you know, just the relentless sadness of it just kind of was, was beating me down a bit. But I do think it's a really well-crafted film with great performances, and it's scary. It's, like, legitimately scary. This, some of the, like, vampire shit is very alarming (laughs) you know as as i hint at (laughs) in the in the synopsis it's like they're aggressive as fuck Mm. and i and i I think it's a really unique take on vampires so those are my feelings
2: (laughs) well i love love this movie my feelings about josh hartnett are well documented so i will (laughs) save those For maybe later in the episode. But I aside from him being in this, like I also love vampires. And I think this is a really cool. It's one of those simple ideas that's like like there's this window of time that you can't there you never get an escape from them, you know? And there's a moment in in the new Blair Witch that I've talked about on the show before that really kind of unnerves me is the thought of the sun not coming up. Like there's never a break for you. I find that really scary and ominous in a really, really cool way. And I, I also really like this movie because I went to Alaska when I was in college and I went in the summer. And so it was like, it just stayed light till one, like there were like two or three hours of darkness, but it was just really cool. So when I watched this, I'm like, oh, it kind of brings back some good memories. Um, I don't remember the first time I watched it. I think I rented it at home and I think I loved it. The first time. And then it got a little bit of a backlash for a while. Um, And so I think I kind of fell into that backlash. And then it kind of had a resurgence, I think, maybe a couple of years ago, where I think people either rediscovered it or started talking more about it. Um, It may have hit a streaming service or something. I was like, yeah, I do really, really like this because it's really cool. It's the kind of gore that I like, because I've also talked about how I do not really like super gory stuff, but this one, it's so like artful and stylized that it doesn't really bother me. Even like when, when like people are getting ground up by plows, like a lot of it happens so fast that I don't even really kind of recognize it. The the one Billy's death is the one that kind of gets me a little bit, but even that one, it's not that bad. Um, and I like, it is a very sad movie. But I guess I just never really check into that sadness of it. I kind of just watch it and I'm like, yeah, vampires, woo, snow. And so I don't really kind of. I, I'm, I never really get down into the bleakness of it. I kind of just am, am watching it and enjoying it. And then there's Josh Hartnett and he's really hot. And then there's cool vampires tearing shit up. And these vampires are really, really cool. I really like them. It's a different take on vampires that I really appreciate. It's kind of, and it's just like that feeling of there not being any escape, you know, which I find really um, like the sun isn't going to come up and you're not going to have your time to make all your stakes. I do kind of agree that I think when I really objectively look at it I think it probably could lose one of the locations they go to. I'm not sure which one I would cut cuz I do kind of enjoy them all. But yeah, I mean I I do I kind of agree that it might be a little too long, but that also is what kind of makes it a good background movie for me to watch too is that it's on I look up at the parts that I don't or that I love and then I'll maybe type a little bit and work on something. But yeah, I really really dig this movie. And It's got snow horror. And I love, love snow horror. There's something about I'm just obsessed with snow anyways, because we don't get much of it down here. But like, when there's blood on snow, it's just so cool. And I just love it. And this is like, this is peak snow horror, I think. It's the scene on the road. I mean, you see, we kind of mentioned that it was epic, but I think it really is. It's it's really cool. And It's so cool. And like and you tweeted about that just recently, didn't you, Mary Beth? And that's kind of what made me look for it this time. I like that it also like the vampire shit goes down pretty early too. like we don't wait around forever to make sure it's really vampires. And oh, you're crazy. You know, like the vampires are out pretty quick. So.
3: Yeah, I wrote an article about, actually I wrote like a whole article about that shot and how like that is one of the scariest shots in horror and they resurfaced it a couple of weeks, like a couple, like a week ago and I just retweeted it saying that it was like one of the scariest best shots I've seen in horror. I think it's really great. Yeah, I love that
1: sequence. I think it's really like a really great uh, fight choreography, really great cinematography and like the stylizing, like you said, like the blood on the snow and as it pulls up up and up and up and you see the whole slaughter Mm -hmm. writ large like it's yeah it's great I love to read that article
2: yeah I'll link it in our show notes and I think I don't know if it's something about like the fact that it has kind of a comic book feel to it that it doesn't feel as real to me like it feels like there's there's a barrier in between me and the gore and me and the sadness you know which is like I can kind of really enjoy watching it but not like get sucked in empathetically to it you know
1: Totally. And I mean, that makes sense to me. And I, who knows why I had that reaction to this movie, but to some others that like, don't bother me, you know, even though they're equally gory or upsetting or what have you, it's, it's, I think it's completely personal preference.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The part, like I hadn't even really remembered a lot of the, the sad parts. Um, the part with Billy, that one got me a little bit this time, but you know, because I had forgotten, and it comes right on the heels of him having to kill the other uh, the gentleman who gets bit by the girl mm-hmm. in the grocery store, whose name I can't remember. And it's like a mm-hmm. one-two punch of like father sadness. You know, <laughs> like
1: yeah, a lot of the yeah. there's a few moments. Um, actually, the thing that I think I found the saddest was the dad with dementia. Mm. And yeah. this guy going out into the snow, just screaming dad. And then because I felt really real, whereas mm-hmm. some of the other stuff just gets so heightened that it's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we can talk about that.
2: Um, well, yeah, let's move into the what we love about this movie.
0: So I know like Mary Beth, like you've often talked in other shows, like in your own show, how you merge like your love of horror with like your academic pursuits and like wanting to write in a more academic way. And I was wondering, what are the specific aspects of this movie that maybe kind of like tap into that maybe what do you what scratches that itch when you go back and not watch it as like that 14 year old that fell in love with it but like watching it as an adult and like digging a little deeper in there what scratches that itch
3: yeah i actually um i presented a conference paper on this movie about how like you both mentioned um like and larry you mentioned it about the um that like the post nine eleven anxieties that come up in this movie. And I think the big Mm -hmm. thing that comes up for me is the the representation of what a like what masculinity is supposed to be, and what it means to save your family, and why like a lot with Evan being this like savior character who has had a failed marriage and he needs to prove to her that they need to get their family back together to save each other and save the world, and then Billy is kind of this antithesis character where he couldn't save his family and his failure uh, culminates in their death, and so he is perceived as a failure for that, well, for that, and, like, the violence of the whole thing, but it puts these two men in contrast with one another, especially as like, their partners, and so, Mm -hmm. like, that kind of big comparison and that idea of masculinity, for me, runs throughout, and how the expectations of what a man in that kind of era is supposed to be, and how they're supposed to protect the family, but then at the very end, even when he makes that sacrifice to be that perfect masculine figure, it doesn't have the happy ending but it's still connotes mm-hmm. this idea of needing to sacrifice yourself to save the woman in your life like it, it, especially at the end when he like sacrifices himself to save her it gets that kind of very much like the woman must be saved by the man who loves her kind of trope which frustrates me at the end like mm-hmm. gets a little totally. bit it kind of goes from her being this total bad bitch and she still is but she gets like gets lost which is really frustrating to me because mm-hmm. she I feel like she's just as badass and strong as him, but when it comes to heroicism, mm-hmm. he's really the only one allowed to have it. I feel like in this movie, like she does some cool shit, but it's either supporting him or it's like overshadowed by him like running down the street by himself or like injecting vampire blood into his veins, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a big part of like the movie that I really like am fascinated with and a lot of the outs especially the very like obvious outsider kind of like metaphor outsiders coming in and sending someone into the town who is not one of them and it's like a very obvious kind of metaphor for our own fears but xenophobia like you mentioned like
1: Mm -hmm. um, yeah what i like about that angle on it and i almost feel like it it was almost there but they didn't complete the thought is what that fear of outsiders is what ends up like Get, you know, like we like the I don't know how to phrase this. It's like the call is coming from inside the house. Like I, I have a thought here with like the oil and again, this is a very like Bush era criticism of America, but like, you know by being engaged in the actions of an evil empire, we're kind of like getting what we deserve by getting mm. completely slaughtered by these vampires. And it's like this, you know, it, it I feel like there's a thought there and I am not articulating yeah. it well because it is half-baked, but I really feel like there's something there.
0: Well, there's also early in the movie, Bo makes a comment like, we moved out here because mm-hmm. we wanted to be a lo- away from everybody. Like we didn't want to necessarily have to abide by everyone else's laws. Like we're so isolated from everybody else that we can kind of do our own thing at that mm-hmm. point. And that isolationism is what kills them in the end because like they yes. don't have, you know, you, you they don't have any sort of outside supports that can lend any assistance at all. What I also found fascinating is three quarters of the town leaves. So they want to be isolationist when it behooves them and when it's convenient. But for that one month of the year when it's going to be very difficult, three quarters of the town picks up stakes and they go and they kind of like interact with the rest of, rest of society at that point. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a have your cake and eat it too type of thing where it's like, well, we want to shun the rest of the world when it's okay for us to do so, but we also want the spoils of it when we need it because we can't hack the other month of the year or we're on our own. So I found that kind of a fascinating thing. And I liked how the movie does a smart job of like not, not only them being physically isolated, but removing any sort of technology that can help them. Like the cell mm-hmm. phones are all removed. The computer lines are all cut. The power is cut. And there's nobody that would come out there to um, check in on them. Either. Mm-hmm. Although you have to wonder, like, if you were like stationed elsewhere, if like after a week you didn't hear from anybody in this area, if like you're like as a ranger going to send people out there just to kind of do like a safety check.
2: It's like the shining rules, you know? They'd probably just assume, oh, yeah, they've got it. They're fine. Yeah.
0: You think for a whole town compared to like a family of, I don't know, hear anything.
1: I, I mean, don't know what's up in Alaska. Yeah. yeah I, it's <laughs> I cold mean truly. Tr- <laughs> well, it's also I mean, yeah, I I think that if you really like tease the logic out, it probably doesn't hold up, but I also am willing to forgive, sure. you know, that element of it for the sake of you Storytelling. know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a suspension of disbelief kind of thing.
2: Well, cuz there's always the fa- also the factor. This is the thing that really bugs me is that like It's the sun comes up like five minutes later after maybe five ten minutes after Eben turns himself into a vampire. So like you made it thirty days. Let's see if we can hold out a little bit. And that's one of those movie things where like I kind of forgive it. Kind of like the is anybody calling for help? You know, it's like yeah, but will this like can this movie exist without with those elements in there? You know. Um, but the thing, Laura, I think that I there are two things that both of you, all of us are saying that I find very interesting. And I think like we don't really unless I'm missing someone like we don't really see many indigenous people in this town. And so mm-hmm. it's assumed that this town they I mean, I'm assuming they're based on the oil rig like industry. Right. So they're taking the natural resources of Alaska in the same way that the vampires are taking these natural resources as a food source or survival, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, and and I don't think the movie really digs too deeply into that, probably for its benefit, but I do, I love the movies where you can kind of tease that stuff out, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. and it's actually really interesting. Go ahead, in the, in the graphic novel, the characters have more, like, indigenous tribe names. Like, they kind of went like whitewash the names oh, really? in the movie Versus the graphic novel, Mm, um, which is well, maybe it's a really crucial changes. Two thousands thing, yes. And they had some really questionable changes from the graphic novel to the movie to make it have this more post nine eleven feel. Like Sela and Evan are in like a loving, happy marriage in the comic book, and like they're Mm. totally happy together, and they're like they're the ones like figuring everything out together. But there isn't any kind of strife. so they really did create, the whole drama was just with the vampires. There wasn't some intermarital issues that like served as a romance on the side, which again, very early, like very 2000s, not even to have like a weird romance part to it, but they definitely whitewashed the mm. movie yeah. from the original, the original graphic novel.
1: Which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah and I, I was going to say, like, I mean, I think I, that's kind of what I was getting at is that, I mean, if you take the sort of psychoanalytic view of <laughs> horror, it's often that like fear is a projection of of your own issue. You know, you fear, what you fear reflects something about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like the perfect analogy for like post 9-11 America is to have like vampires coming and feeding off the town as the town is like feeding off the natural resources of the land. And like, I mean, I think there is something actually kind of like poetic about that Mm -hmm. um but i don't know but i think you do have to kind of dig for it
2: yeah yeah and i like the vampires too like looking at them as kind of like a band of organisms that need to survive on food as well, you know, and I I really like his speech where he talks about how long they had to uh, wait to convince people that they were just a bad dream. Like, I think that's really fascinating and that they really want to live in this mythic place um, of people not believing because then they start to like um, lose like their vampire fighting abilities or just like even the like taking it seriously and my words are terrible right now but it reminds me of um Stephen King's intro to Salem's Lot where he talks about like in the original Dracula like it was technology that helped them like a blood transfusion and like um the ability to communicate quickly and in Salem's Lot it was like the belief in technology that kept people from believing because they're like well these things can't exist where we can just turn the lights on and see everything you know and that's kind of of what we have here, and it's like they pull them back into this natural world where, like, mm-hmm. this is possible, but we can't let the larger world know. Although I wonder, like, I wonder what happens next. Like, are they because they're, they're going to say, "Oh, it was vampires," but are people actually going to believe them? You know.
3: So that's what the second one's about. Oh
2: yeah, what happens?
3: The second one is Stella trying to tell the world about the vampires, and everyone thinks she's crazy, and it's like she's to- she's full of shit. Like, really, actually mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. But then vampires then start hunting her for telling the truth, but still nobody believes her. And they just like, she's written a book about it, but everyone again, just thinks she's lying for money. Essentially.
2: Oh,
0: it's a very good case in showing like you should leave well enough alone. Like the first graphic novel is perfect in its own. And the more that they try to expand it, the more watered down and worse it gets. Hmm like it falls off a cliff pretty quickly
3: yeah it does and like the second movie came out was terrible too
1: i didn't know there yeah was a i had like movie. i didn't even realize there was a second movie until um i was looking up stuff in wikipedia for this movie and i was like there was I mm. I hear about that i, I did want to say about the creature design of the vampires i really think that they made them look like sharks mm-hmm. with yeah. the rows of pointed mm. teeth the black eyes like Black eyes, like, like a doll's eyes, eye. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I think that really l- lines up with what you're saying about putting them in the natural world. They really like they they use their mythical status to their advantage, but really, they may just be some kind of biological aberration or organism, you know. I, I so I think that that I think that the creature design in this was especially smart. It's very visually effective and like um it's different looking than a lot of depictions of vampires and it's Mm -hmm. it feels very predatory and they cast a lot of actors with really strong bone structure and and shoot them in a way with their you know their chins kind of pointed down where they look very animalistic Mm -hmm. i just loved the creature design i thought it was fantastic and and it works on a conceptual level
0: Mm -hmm. it it definitely i mean because i don't think the first twilight movie had come out yet i think that's 2008 but the books were obviously a pretty large phenomenon by then and you had seen like i a, was a very like large buffy the vampire slayer and angel fan and you saw how like the vampires and that that those shows were kind of more on redemptive arcs like the look of these vampires and the way they move and their ferocity it's kind of reminiscent of the, the last season of buffy there was this uber vamp called the uruk that kind of forgot like, about those Yeah, they kind of like live like under the hellmouth, and they're kind of like Nosferatu. If Nosferatu like watched a shit ton of Jackie Chan movies and hmm. wanted to kick ass, and it kinda,
1: goes to the dojo, yeah, pretty <laughs>
0: much. Yeah, Cobra Kai with Nosferatu. There's your follow up. I do want to see that. I know I would <laughs> totally <definitely> watch, that. <laughs> watch that. But like, they have a more like urbane like. I think, you know, Marlo, who I think has to be kind of, kind of like a a take on like Barlow from like Salem's Lot, like Marlo Mm -hmm. um, as her leader, like kind of looks like a late 90s gangster. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of like British gangster that you would see in a lot of indie dramas. Mm -hmm. And he's at like a more urbane, suave, like look to him, which I think maybe makes him a little bit, you know, more terrifying overall.
1: He seems like the most organized of the bunch. Like that's what makes him the leader is that he's like retained a little bit more of his humanity or something. Mm -hmm.
0: And they have that in the synopsis. Like, why don't they just all attack Eben at once? Like then it's pretty much game over. But there is that kind of pack mentality where he's like the leader of the pack. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of his job to protect his tribe. And then once he's dead, the others scatter
1: at oh, that totally. point
0: like they almost can't so you can kind of it makes sense like it does it does make sense to me it does have one of my favorite moments is when Marlowe puts his finger on the spinning mm-hmm. wax record yes. um, oh, it's such a yes. that's my favorite shot in the movie mm-hmm. i have tried for years to like write a little short story around like that type of moment and have never been able to quite get it Mm -hmm. um, because it just works like really well. There's something just like so sinister and terrifying about that. I really, really do appreciate that shot.
1: Mm -hmm. I want a tattoo of that shot. Oh yeah. (laughs) That would be a great tattoo design. I could see that in like black ink. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: totally. It's so
2: cool. And like he is he's very like urbane, but he's also really animalistic, too. So it's like the perfect mix of that, which makes him really hot. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, for a movie as cold as this is, it is super hot. (laughs) <laughs> but like, and that, it kind of like Fizzling. goes back to the, I hadn't really thought about masculinity in this movie, but I think you're totally right. Cause he, he's the alpha, you know? And it is like, once the alpha has been destroyed by even like, I bet they would probably accept him as their leader also. It's like the pack disperses and it's like the show of dominance is what ends up scaring them off and saying this, this really isn't worth it for us. Also the sun's about to come up, mm-hmm. but like, that's like what I, I've been thinking a lot about masculinity. Especially since we watched Shutter Island and just that men of violence thing. And it's like that's that's what we understand as masculinity is whose violence is going to outdo someone else's violence. And, and that's one of the things that I really like about Eben is I think he's kind of a mix of that. Like I think he understands his role as being the most dominant person in the town and sacrificing himself. And I think we could contrast him with his little brother also who does a lot of, like, he, she, he's the one who kills the little girl in the grocery store. And then later on, when he's volunteering himself to go, Eben's like, no, no, you couldn't handle that. Like, you're going to have to do it a lot more. Um, and so there's this sacrificing of himself, which is really destructive. And it's like, that's that's the thing about masculinity that, Really bo- bothers me is that it it is so destructive. And what is the point of your dominance being the most dominant if it's ultimately going to tear everything down? And that's what ends and up harming you exactly, harm you
1: psychologically, like the immense psychological harm. In it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that what you're saying about the vampires as pack animals, it really merges well with what Mary Beth was saying earlier about this being uh, the, the themes of masculinity running through this. I think I think it's really interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. But I also see Josh Hartnett like he is a pretty empathetic like leader of this town like he wants to like the, the moment that sticks out to me with Bobby. And I mean, I look at this now and see him as a police officer in a much different light than I did even just five years ago, you know, but when yeah. he gives Bobby the ticket, like there's that moment of like, yeah, we need to let him know that we do still like we still live together, you still need to be part of the team, you know, and I think that's and and when he's talking to the stranger too, like he's like, hey, let's go outside, you know he's trying to like for at least that moment resolve it peacefully, which i I appreciate. um he's also super hot, so.
0: I definitely read that with the more twenty twenty one Like A, like trying to take the guy outside. It's like it's a guy that's not from there. And yeah, he's a little bit aggro, but he hasn't quite done anything yet.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you know
0: what I mean? And then with Bo saying, like, just ticketing him, it's almost it's a show of dominance as well. It's like, nope, Mm -hmm. I am the person who's an authority here. So there are other ways you can remind him that like, yes, you're a part of this community.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, again, it becomes a masculine thing of like, oh, the way I show him as a part of the community is by like, wave our dicks around at each other. (laughs) You know, it's, that's why Mm -hmm. I put like in the synopsis, like technically it's sweet because I I sense that it was coming from a place of good intention. But Mm -hmm. if you do look at it at the, through the lens of like what I think, most of us have come to see as the authority issue with cops and how authority is creates like this abusive relationship and abusive dynamic in the communities that are being policed like it's just a little a little sprinkling of unpleasantness in this um otherwise empathetic character but i think it's accidentally Saying something.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think because I don't read Eben as wanting to be dominant for dominance's sake. Like, there's the moment where he talks about, like, we live up here because nobody else can. Um, Like, I feel like he just really sees everyone else as inherently weaker. And so it is his job to sacrifice himself in this way instead of maybe trying to build others up more, which is, I think, what I would like if the movie if I were writing this in 2021 maybe is the angle that I would try to take but I also like that like Stella is he he looks at Stella as an equal in authority in just about every time like he completely trusts her to do all of the things he's doing you know Mm
1: -hmm. in so many ways like the character of Ethan is a victim to these sort of toxic ideas Mm -hmm. and toxic ideologies that were especially pervasive uh they sort of crested i i want to say in the early 2000s i think there was something some you know combination of elements uh, in film of this time where things were being censored less or i guess people were pulled like you know they were being more open with a lot of adult themes and ideas and that's where you kind of get this like edgelordy kind of energy in a lot of the media from that era but at the same time we were experiencing the traumas of that era and and participating in them and that sort of had this really dark effect on our collective psyche and i think it comes out in the media of of that era in a really interesting way that is i think it's really healthy and good to be analyzing it in this way because i think we're still living with the consequences of a lot of it and a lot of the reckoning if you will that we're seeing now i think is the natural conclusion of, of a lot of this kind of stuff being brought into the light mm-hmm. for better or worse. Anyway, that's 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 a thought. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good one. It is a great one. Yeah, it is, a great it's a thought.
3: thought. It's just so funny talking about this movie <laughs> like this because I was like obsessed with it as a kid and like I just loved it because it was vampires who were hot and dangerous, a hot boy, a hot girl, and gore. And if you had told me mm-hmm. then that I'd mm-hmm. be writing about it academically, like now, then I would have laughed in your face. I'm like there's nothing academic about this movie. It's just hot, no. hot, hot guy, <laughs> hot vampire do violence good. It's, and just it's hot. <laughs> it's just hot. Um, so yeah. It's, yeah, I, I love
2: you, it.
0: You can enjoy, I mean, you can enjoy movies on that level, especially, you know, at that age, like on the surface, like it's a very, at a surface level, it's a cleverly told horror story mm-hmm. with a great location, a great hook. There are visual cues to other moments of pop culture, like the, I got some bit older. The scene where the vampires are like lifting the police vehicle from behind and tipping it over had a very like Lou Ferrigno and the Incredible Hulk vibe to me from the opening credits to that. The opening shot of like the boat out in the ice had both like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, mm-hmm. where the um, beginning and end of that book is encapsulated by like this boat trying to make a passage making like a passage through i think the arctic circle uh mm-hmm. and also like dracula yeah. like the i'm trying to think of the boat in dracula now um, that runs that afoul, but it, a file
2: but it, no it's it's, it's uh, whatever it's the not. boat is <laughs> uh, but um
0: but yeah. i i definitely i had that vibe it had those like pop culture vibes yeah. to it but there's more going on underneath it whether or not like slade intended it
1: yeah well, and that's what that's what i think is great about genre film in general and horror especially is that Often when you go into things just with the intention of telling a scary story, you end up revealing so much more than you ever could if you went about something intentionally as like a, a, a message that you're trying to sell. So I think that, I mean, that's why I, I like this podcast. It's why I like having these conversations, because I think that like, and why I want genre film to get more respect, you know, it's like, I think it really, and especially becomes these like time capsules that say mm-hmm. so much about us as as humans, yes. you know? Yeah. And I freaking love that. No.
2: Well, it's part of why I love horror in general is because it reveals like what you care about and what you're afraid of. Like who would you risk your life to save and what are you afraid is going to kill you or how are you afraid Mm -hmm. that you're going to be threatened, which reveals inherently reveals uh, just a lot about people in general. And so when you write a movie, this is kind of like what we talked about with It Follows. Like when you just write a movie about what human beings would do in this situation, you are writing about culture and society because human beings exist as a part of a culture and society even if it's fictional and the writer is writing from a place of like you can't escape culture it's just sometimes more or less visible and I love movies like this that don't I don't think really intend to say that although I could see maybe a little bit of that about the like the other you know the fear of the other because I think that's like kind of inherent in the vampire story anyways but um yeah, it's like there's there's so much under the surface, but I had not really thought too much about it in this way, mostly just because it's like fun vampire without Josh Hartnett, yeah. you know.
0: Well, what's interesting, like Josh Hartnett is it because it's interesting about him. I'm reading this book. There's a like, lot
2: that's interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry, You know, <laughs> I'm well, sorry.
0: number one, I love when he works in genre movies. He always wears a hat. Halloween H2O, The Faculty, like, it's almost like... He doesn't like have hats
2: in those movies. What hats are you talking about? <laughs> in
0: Halloween H2O, he has a hat in that movie. Does he? Oh, yeah. Jamie a... Curtis famously told him, like, comb your fucking hair. Like, he wouldn't take his beanie off, and she got pissed at him. Like, she tried to mother him.
2: But I don't think the hat is in the movie, is it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's his no, messy it's totally hair. totally in the movie. No,
1: he's he's wearing like a hat.
2: Yeah, we're going to have (laughs) to. He's totally (laughs) wearing
0: like a late 90s like beanie in that movie.
2: Josh Hartnett hat. (laughs) Yeah, hat.
0: (laughs) I am not wrong about this. I will die. This is the, of all the (laughs) things we've done. This is the hill you'll die on? This is the hill. Josh Hartnett in a hat. I mean, um,
1: I've got Josh Hartnett, purple hat, 24 by 36 poster from on Amazon. You can purchase that. Can you Excellent. just
2: uh, send me a screenshot of that
1: link? Send that link.
0: Yes, I was going to say, can um, you send me but, that link? What's,
1: all, it is a purple hat,
0: guys. But what I'm reading that. about him, like he, he, there's a book, um, Best Year for Movies Ever. And he mm-hmm. and it talks about his role in The Virgin Suicides. And he talks about getting into acting and how he was like, like a video store clerk that loved – like the French new wave of cinema and his favorite movie is like eight and a half weeks. Like he's someone that loves classic art house cinema. Yeah. You're making a face, but like what I think about like him and his (laughs) career, his career trajectory. I wonder what it's like for him is someone who loves those movies. And this is the kind of fare that he's mostly offered. Mm -hmm. Like he gets to do things like, you know, 30 days a night and halloween h2o and the faculty and which again like um 40 days 40 nights like with a romantic Ooh. which i went to see with my sister sorry so that's weird i have to pour um, some water on
2: myself for a minute yeah but <laughs>
0: if you're someone that loves that type of cinema and this is what you're kind <laughs> and of i doing, am that like, person. <laughs> how Sorry, how that feels. That's all right.
2: I do think that he took a significant break from acting, though, mm-hmm. I think, and yeah. then came back in Penny Dreadful, and it was kind of a, a little bit of a return.
1: Because he did Pearl Oh, Harbor that's right. Too. He was good in Penny Dreadful. Yeah, yeah. And he that's, that's very, a good show.
2: It's very, very good
3: He's the reason I started watching that show. Because I saw he was attached to it, and Eva Green. Me too. And again, I only think with my bisexual brain, <laughs> and that's all I care about, is seeing two <laughs> hot people on screen. Eva Green. And, uh, Oh my God. But now it's one of my favorite TV show. So it's great. It's great to look at. And it's a
1: good story. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eva Green is one of those like preposterously beautiful people, but she's also really, really good and mm-hmm. like going an to a am- really good performer. Mm-hmm. And her performance in that show is like something else. Like she really gets put through the is. ringer. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Harry Treadaway is very mm-hmm. hot in that show too. Like there are mm-hmm. so many pretty hot. Cast. Pretty it cast. Pretty cast. Yeah. Speaking of beautiful casts, 30 Days of Night has a super hot cast. (laughs) Back to that one. (laughs) Yeah, and Mike, you mentioned your favorite part, and then you mentioned my favorite part, which is the part on the the truck or on the Jeep where the vampire, something about him like the silhouette of him over like the snowy cast Mm. mountain with the blue night. You know, it's gorgeous and I just I love it there's a moment in the Fright Night remake that's very similar to which I wonder yes there totally is yeah which I mean I and I'm sure that came out after although I'm getting
1: my dates mixed up now but I think it did I want to say that was like 2009 or 2010 Mm -hmm.
2: but I just I love that I love vampires how like when vampires are superhuman you know and they're like action vampires I think is really cool and you know the vampire fight at the one of the disappointing. Things speaking of Twilight is like, I was expecting a lot more of a vampire throwdown at the end. I think thematically, mm-hmm. I like how they all kind of wander away when the alpha, when Marlo dies. But like, I was expecting Josh Hartnett to have his newborn vampire blood from Twilight that makes him like super powerful and just like whack a bunch of vampires away. So, amidst the snowfire, which is also <laughs> super cool. Oh.
3: I find that ending and like, the pan- There's a panel in the pop graphic novel that is that death scene, but it's so underwhelming in the movie. I feel like it happens so fast. And then you're just like, mm-hmm. wait, that was it? Like, that was the whole thing? Like, we waited this whole movie for that to happen, and it was all of, like, five seconds? so it's very Mm -hmm. weird like the the pacing of the movie i think is really weird and i (laughs) i watched the movie with the director and his commentary on it and david Slade said that he knows the pacing is terrible which is hysterical because they don't have like enough enough time cards and like the way that time is marked out throughout the movie is very bad and yeah, yeah the pacing is just really awkward it's just really awkward
1: so. That's what I, I I picked up on, you know, like the first before they go into the like the first night as it's all happening and is very immediate. The pacing is great, but it's when they go into the like I, I feel like they you know they have this concept and they're like thirty days of night. oh it's super badass. And then they're like, oh shit, how do we cinematically depict thirty days? You know, without it being boring, without it being a slog, without it being confusing. And it's, I mean, it's a challenge mm-hmm. I, I, and I don't know that it fully if, succeeds. If you told
0: me this whole movie takes place over one night, I would believe you. Like mm-hmm. I, at the end of this, I'm like, wait, oh. did they just screw up like the continuity mm-hmm. of this? It doesn't feel like a month has passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it yeah. Just- they needed
1: more ways to demarcate time besides the like little title cards and like a sparse amount of facial hair on some of the characters. Like I... <laughs> But I you know, it almost it, I think that this would have been like a really good like six episode like limited series or something like that. Like you know, I think that the structure of the film um, doesn't do it any favors, yeah. but I do think it's a, it's a good effort, and I, I think the first 45 minutes are friggin fantastic so.
0: that's mm-hmm. that's probably how it would be done now. like mm-hmm. I think to your point, like if this were a new property it would yeah. probably be like a 10 episode show on Netflix like 45 minute episodes and you would mm-hmm. let it breathe i don't know if it has enough to sustain it mm-hmm. for a ton of episodes but that might be how you would
1: it's need done. some you could do some b plots with the other yeah. characters you would have needed to flesh all that out and like um i I, mean, I think with that ensemble you could definitely do it but it would need and i'm assuming that that's what's in the comic books that there's more b plots and c plots and that kind of thing Mm-hmm similar to The Walking Dead.
2: Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a time limit on it, too. You know, it's 30 days. The sun is going to mm-hmm. come up. Um, and yeah. I agree. I did. Like, it was shocking to see one of those time cards come up. But another thing that I like about it is I feel like it really, you you lose track of time as a viewer because it is just, like, feels like endless night. And it's, like, this mm-hmm. hopeless feeling of, like, there is no, they're, they're never going to go away, you know. Because that's a long time.
1: Yeah. And I think I, I would have... I would have liked to see more of the characters experiencing that feeling. Mm -hmm. I guess that that sense of, like you said, the idea of like the sun not coming up and not having that thing that, you know, demarcates time Mm -hmm. would be extremely anxiety provoking. And it's similar to being in like solitary confinement or something where you just have no sense of the passage of time. So, uh, you know, there was no character, you know, marking the days on the wall with like a, a pocket knife. There was no, um, Someone like Sarah, you had the confusion of the father with dementia, but he already had dementia. So I mean, I don't know, I just wanted something a little bit more like, like that. But again, I'm, I'm picking this apart because of the nature of this conversation. I don't mean to shit on it by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> And like, well, I got, and like, there's so many
3: opportunities in this movie where they hint at these really, like you said, these relationships. Like, at the beginning, there's like the three oil pipeline workers, and they're all like giggling about going back to the other person's place. And there's obviously mm-hmm. some like very mm-hmm. interesting relationship of going some. Wow, lost control of that sentence. <laughs> interesting oh. relationship. <laughs> uh-huh. And so she, she, and she's part of like the survivor group, but they never dive into who she is. And like, I think. It's a, mm-hmm. this is like the the graphic novel was actually pretty simple. There weren't a lot of B plots, so I feel like this was the kind of movie that either needed to be hyper focused or more spread out. And I think they kind of mm-hmm. think in in watching it now, it is kind of a stumbling block where you have so many people and you don't really know that much about them, and you're almost like hungry for more, or you just want to look at the central couple.
1: So yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, yeah, exactly.
2: Like I can't tell you what the name of the character who wants josh hartnett to kill him is like i can't tell you what the name of the girl from the the thruple at the oil rig is you know which for a movie that feels like we spend too much time with those characters like when the dad with dementia shows up i didn't realize his son existed in the survivor group mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: so yeah i agree i could have just stood with um the The central couple, maybe one other person and the little brother, I think that would get you all you need. Of course, then you wouldn't have as many people to pick off and show vampire yeah. brutality with, which I also do really enjoy in this movie. Well,
0: that's the thing, too, is like this movie picks off all the secondary characters so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it's about a 20 minute segment where like a lot of characters are introduced before the sun goes down and then they're immediately torn to shreds. Mm -hmm. So you don't really get enough time to get to know them, what you get. And I think, like Laura, this taps into, like, you had said earlier, like, Edgelord. Like, yeah, that definitely taps into this moment in time where it was, like, extreme, man. Like, there's no time for character development because, like, what you're trying to do is get, like, the coolest looking shot. And it does. It has, like, a ton of them. And there are some terrific, gory horror movie sequences but there's like not a lot of to me, there's like not a lot of weight behind them because like mm-hmm. you don't really know any of them.
2: Yeah. And that's part of why I think I find it comforting and something that I can put on a background watch is because I am not emotionally attached mm-hmm. to many of the characters. So it's instead of a double edged sword in that regard.
1: Yeah, I can see it both ways
2: one of the things I thought I noticed this time is kind of what we were talking about is they mentioned that alcohol is illegal. And I, that's something that I had heard before in the movie, but just never really thought too much about. Um, and I know that um, alcoholism is a huge concern in Alaska for a lot of the reasons that we've been talking about like it is really hard even if there are no vampires to live when the sun doesn't come up and I remember when I was there because it's also not when the sun doesn't come up but the opposite of that happens on the other end of the year is like all of the houses that we went to especially the bars had huge blackout curtains because if like the sun doesn't go down it's like you don't have that ability to rest either you know and it's just very extreme and your norms are destabilized and it's just it's difficult you know it's
1: a little bipolar and it's moods you know like you're either hyper hyper you know in a lot of the countries, like if you watch Midsummer, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a similar, you know, exploration of what it is to be in this perpetual daylight, and it's it's kind of mania inducing, even if mm-hmm. you're not actually bipolar. Yeah. Whereas, like the winter is so depressive and so soul crushing. I mean, in winter in Chicago, I become an alcoholic every winter or on the verge <laughs> of it because it's like, God, kill me, fucking kill me. So I could never, I could never handle that. I, just being as prone to depression as I am, like,
2: well, yeah. Well, is there anything else we want to mention about the movie?
0: So, I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on Billy and him kind of euthanizing his family when the shit goes down. I know. I think that, it's like,
1: fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> oh, I just please <laughs> share your want, real
1: thoughts. Best part of the whole movie. I kind of
0: <laughs> want to get like others like thought that decision.
1: <sighs>
0: you know, if you if you're in a situation where like this looks completely hopeless. Like you're looking at out your window and your town is getting like ripped to shreds and like nothing is stopping them. Like, is it the more humane thing to take, you know, we see this in horror a lot where like characters like sacrifice themselves. Like they're about to get say ripped apart by zombies and like they get shot. So that Mm -hmm. way they don't have to like live through that sort of anguish and pain. I didn't think it was the worst decision <laughs> can compare to the alternative, I guess. And I wanted to get yeah. others' thoughts on that.
1: I mean, I don't, I, I don't disagree. I, I, I don't think it's, I, I don't judge the character for it and in no way do I actually judge the character for it because I think he's being put in an impossible nightmare position. And yeah, I don't, I don't, he, I do, I do fully, I have no reason to believe that it wasn't um, coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm. you know and and i think that no one can really know what they would do until they're in that situation it reminds me a lot of the ending of spoiler alert the mist yeah you know which uses that to tw- use that premise and twists the knife even harder with it mm-hmm. um so but i i i don't judge the man for it i think he was put in an impossible position yeah well and
3: what i so it's interesting cuz when i like the movie makes you really not like him. Like they want you to be mad at him and want you I feel like when I first mm-hmm. first watched it you were like supposed to be upset with him that he made that decision that he's the bad guy and he's weak. He's not like Evan. He's not strong enough to protect mm-hmm. his family. But as I have watched this movie over the years have have very much changed that perspective. And been like, mm, actually, maybe he was doing the right thing. Like, is do you really want to keep someone alive and traumatize them over and over and over again? And like, what is the payoff you live? But what does that mean in that context? Like, what does it mean to survive and live yeah. after something like this? Which is something I really wish they had done more in the second movie but it was it was like it shouldn't really didn't need a sequel but i think something that's really interesting that you don't see a lot is like how these people continue to live after traumatic experiences like this i would love to see Mm -hmm. more of like that Mm -hmm. like aftermath of these horrific events and yeah you lived but like so what is life like now and generally ptsd and horror.
1: yeah yeah and i think that most horror movies take the shortcut out of that kind of stuff where they're like well they saw, had a traumatic thing, and then they were in a mental institution. It's like the mm-hmm. final girl mm-hmm. trope.
3: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I, I think I, I'm not a huge fan of The Walking Dead, mostly because I just find it to be a little too bleak. But I think that show does do a really good job of exploring the characters and how they are coping living in this zombie hell world. There, there's like I, one of the seasons where they find a town, and the town has been relatively protected from the zombies, and like they try to like reintegrate and all have horror horrific PTSD and I think that is like I really liked the, that little plot arc in that show um, just for the way they explore trauma
2: well uh, and I think because we yeah. do get a hint of that with the character whose name I can't remember because he's talking about how his entire family died in this accident and it didn't have anything to do with vampires, but he's like, I keep, uh, he's waiting to get back to them. And it's, it's a really sad and really unique kind of fear of vampireness is that if I live forever, I will never be reunited with these people that I'm kind of just waiting until I die to see again. Um, and I think the Billy thing, like I am really, It's impossible to read that and the end of the mist without an element of hindsight bias which is like you can't judge them for knowing thing knowing how the situation was going to turn out like you can't mm-hmm. you can't know like Laura what you were saying you can't know what you're going to do if you really think it's a monster and he doesn't know it's not the monster outside he doesn't know that Eben and Stella are going to show up and possibly save the day you know so you don't you don't know what you're going to do in that situation there's part of me that really wants to dive into the family annihilator narcissism way because he is and we also don't see the family agreeing to do this like we don't see how that decision with his wife goes we also don't see the gun jam which is something that we do see in the mist so like there's part of me that thinks did the gun really jam or did he get scared and wasn't able to do it and there's just no way to know Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just an interesting level and it's kind of what we were talking about earlier is the movie kind of takes a stance of judging him but we can really kind of examine it through a lot of different lenses because it is, it is a trauma. Like they're living in an ongoing trauma and it is, it's harder to protect children in that environment also because they are like the father with dementia. There's like, they're an unknown quantity, you know, and it's not always, you can't always reason with them the same way that you can reason with adults. And it's one of those things that kind of as a parent is like, oh shit, what would I mm-hmm. actually do in this situation? Like, because they don't have an addict to hide in, you know? Right. But it is really sad. And, and he is really, really punished for it in the movie. Like he has probably the <laughs> yeah. most brutal mm-hmm. death coming from like his best friend, arguably, Yeah, you know?
1: Yeah, that death yeah. is the one that gets me the most because he's like screaming and squealing and it's like, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. Very brutal. Yeah. It's,
0: that gets to my thing about like their, I think like I even texted the two of you like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie. I'm like, the next joke will be the first. (laughs) Like, and it's, it's emblematic of like horror at this time where everything was taken with so seriously. And I think that if there was a little bit of humor to break things up a little bit, it would wash down a little bit easier overall. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's hard because this is a movie that takes itself like most things of this time, like very, very seriously.
2: And I feel like if given the, like the 10 C's 10 episode arc, I feel like you would have a little more time to kind of flesh those characters out. Yeah. Also like from what you and Mary Beth are saying about the adaptation, you know, I might like to see one that's a little more closely aligned because if it wasn't a, an arguing couple, we would see like more maybe moments of love and hot kissing yeah. and stuff, you know?
1: that's your main motivation for wanting to see this
0: (laughs) please still film this it's funny we've done back to back movies like 2006 Snakes on a Plane and now Uh 2007 and I think like these are two movies that like are really good time capsule movies like they Mm -hmm. are very emblematic of like what we were seeing at that time Uh, and it's always kind of fascinating to kind of go back and look at movies that that aren't necessarily like the benchmark movies of that time period, mm-hmm. but you know, are still like a really good representation of like what was coming out for like, you know, popular culture art at that time. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And sometimes just, maybe even a better representation because you see the, the flaws, you know, and that, cause I don't think this is a perfect movie, even though I love it. Like it's, we see what the time period was like in a piece yeah. of art that really, really represents it. You know,
1: uh, I feel like I've been getting haunted by the early 2000s lately. You know, these, these two movies, there have been a few other things that have come up, um, some situations with people who I spent a lot of time with in like 2007 and 2008. And, uh, it's just weird. It's I think it's an especially interesting exercise to reflect on these things that you lived through what doesn't feel like that long ago. But when you look back on these movies, you realize just how much time has passed mm-hmm. and how much the world has changed. So, you know, and especially for me, this was like a very formative time. I was in high, you know, high school. Early college, you know, so it's just it's just an interesting experience. I think it's really easy to look back at like much older movies and be like this represents the 1960s or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it, but to have lived through this period of time and be looking back it's a, it hits different as the kids say. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Cause
1: it's, you can see
2: that we are removed from that time, you know? And I think we are just now getting to a point where we can see the differences, you know, mm-hmm. like we do, we're starting to understand that there is perspective between the early two thousands and where we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, this period of time for me would have been just getting married and just buying my first home and, having like settling into like a job for a long stretch of time but not being a dad yet and I just to be honest like those years are all kind of a blur and I don't remember too much of them at this (laughs) point they just all mesh in together
3: yeah and I saw this at a time in my life where I just faced a lot of like horror movies with my personality on horror movies so I wanted to be that cool horror movie girl so like this was that movie that Mm -hmm. no one else had heard of so I thought I was so cool having seen it and made everyone else watch it Mm -hmm. so it became Mm -hmm. very much like crucial to how I wanted to identify as like a young high school student and wanted to like make a niche for myself and look cool and like an individual so this movie was very important Mm to me in establishing myself (laughs) as that cool girl who likes gory, edgy uh-huh. horror movies and, like, will always want to watch something weird with you. <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was really, it was really cool.
0: What were your friends' I reactions, like, when you would show them this movie?
3: Uh, no, thank you. Really? <laughs> they like, we oh, would, they, just we would like, have No, date. thank you. Well, because, like, I would show them also movies like Midnight Meat Train, that Clive Barker movie, and Teeth, and, like, I, they just yep. expected this shit from me and they were always just yeah. like that like i that's fine like i didn't watch most of it cuz i didn't want to or they were like yeah or they laughed the whole time mm. cuz i didn't want to actually
1: pay attention to it so yeah, <laughs> yeah. i have um, you just had to find your people
2: <laughs> and it's funny because like yes, i, I did in this pandemic, most of my socializing was with the horror community online and on social media. And we just recently moved and we're uh, moved onto a very social street, but none of them really like horror that much. And I'm having these conversations Mm -hmm. where it's like that realization that like They don't, they don't know what creep is or they don't know, like they don't, they, they they know like slashers and that's what they understand horror to be, which, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just, it's a level of fandom that I don't always recognize that I'm a part of until I'm confronted with people who are not a part of it. You know,
1: that's like, uh, last night, my friend who's in a different earlier time zone than me texted me and was like, I don't like movies from the 1970s. I'm realizing this as I watch all these movies. And I was like, hold the fucking yeah. phone. <laughs> what are you saying to me right now? It's my favorite era for film. And I like mm-hmm. one in the morning, collect, wrote down a list of all my favorite seventies movies and texted it to him and was like, watch these. <laughs> and, <I'm> like, <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, I'm the film asshole. Like, uh-huh. it has, it's official. <laughs> yep. Definitely
2: sent some IMDB links to my neighbors yesterday.
0: <laughs> <I feel like laughs> so at that point, the lie like an interesting question because I get a lot of that, like, especially like around like October, like, Hey, what are you watching? And our tastes I think are going to run counter to like a lot of what I would say like the Saturday night movie crowd mm-hmm. would go to, or like what like our peers, you know, like and when I say my peers, like I mean like other suburban parents in my case um so if i recommend something like oh definitely get like life and death of a porno gang like a serbian movie <laughs> about uh which is this really incredible and incredibly moving like beautiful movie or mm-hmm. oh get baskin it's wicked fucked up
1: very intense
0: yeah like my ch- I, I we've had play dates or like the parents have like dropped off their kid and Like, the mom has said, like, well, don't let them watch, like, the movies you would normally watch. And my (laughs) daughter will describe, like, a movie like PG Psycho Gorman to, like, her friend's mom and how it's her favorite movie right now. And you can see, like, the look on the (laughs) person's face. And, like, well, you're not going to let my kid watch that. I'm like, no. Like, I'm not completely irresponsible.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I'll just show her, like, still photos from it. (laughs) So, you know. What do you, how do you balance that? Like when you're in your own lives, like how do you balance that with friends or potential friends when they're asking for something to watch or if they want to watch something with you? Like how do you do that now versus like you said, Mary Beth, when you're 14, it's different. You know, then you want to be like, here's the most extreme, you know, exert as many like ease in front of extreme as you want. How do you do that in your 20s or 30s? (laughs)
3: So the first thing I do, I like to ask people is like, well, like what, what do you, what do you hate in horror movies? I always want to get a baseline, like, oh, do you not like supernatural? Do you not like gore? Like, what is like your, what is your Mm -hmm. no can do? Because that really helps me um, limit. Because if someone's like, oh, I don't like, like someone told me they don't like ghosts in horror movies, which I thought was absolutely bananas to me as someone who loves ghost movies and like ghosts, like haunted houses. But so, Because I get this a mm-hmm. lot from my coworkers who are like, oh, you, you write about horror movies. Give me a horror movie. And then I forget all of the horror movies I've ever seen and have absolutely nothing to offer them. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I will be like, all right, what do you like? And then from there, I kind of can get a, a vibe about how extreme they're, like, stuff they're into and like, what you can kind of suggest. But I, I always try to keep off like, the more extreme suggestions until I know someone better and don't want to freak them out because sometimes mm-hmm. I've jumped into those like relationships too quickly and people have been very weirded out like I recommended someone to watch dog tooth the Yorgos Lanthimos movie and they watched it on a plane <laughs> with that one. that's extremely funny to me yeah. <laughs> it was hysterical I thought it was hysterical <laughs>
1: well
3: I always also ask parents how much they're because now that I know way more parents than I ever have in my life I ask them Mm -hmm. how do you feel about kids and horror because I have realized more and more that that is something that bothers my friend my friends who are now parents and I've now realized that that is an important question to ask a lot of people that I've never thought about before
1: totally I've had to think about that with 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 doing the podcast with these two because they're both parents and then I'm like oh shit like I shouldn't make brazen jokes about child death so much you know it yeah.
0: doesn't bother me in the slightest I still well, make for them. Jen's sake
1: at least it yeah. doesn't bother me when you make
2: jokes about it I did have a period where I was really really sensitive to kids and horror yeah. mostly when my kids were mm-hmm. like babies I will but say I'm depending
0: on my kids behavior that day I may even encourage
2: <laughs> But Yeah, along those lines that my friend asked I recommended Pet Cemetery as my friend's first Stephen King and horror book ever and it was way too Ooh, much yeah. for
0: her. <laughs> she yeah. Was, yeah. Ada she hasn't watched see, she hasn't watched Pet Cemetery. She said she wanted to read it and I bought it for her last year and it hasn't been opened yet. Really? Yeah, so I might just remind her this summer like, "Hey, you haven't read this yet." Yeah. She's 11 and she's like a pretty bright 11-year-old and
1: that's about when I was reading a lot yeah, of that
0: stuff. Yeah. yeah. I have to retract something I said earlier. I cannot die on the Josh Hartnett wearing a hat in a horror movie Hill. Oh, um, no. I was wrong. Oh, wow. What it was, was he would wear his beanie hat in between takes.
2: Oh, is that why his hair out. is always That's messy? That's why his hair is so messy. Oh, my gosh. Because oh. he does have super messy hair in that movie. And, and that in the faculty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, and people
2: give him so much shit about it, and I'm like, he's perfect.
1: Yeah. <laughs> In every What's way. is his signature hat head look?
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of like the imperfection that makes him perfect, isn't it?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. he'd be, yeah. like,
0: yes. too manufactured.
1: Yeah. So. uh uh-huh. kind
0: of that, you know.
1: Ooh. It's I kind of like, extra, the like that
0: extra 100 pounds of weight that I carry, basically.
1: That, <laughs>
2: you know. Yeah, my flaws make yeah. me more beautiful. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my, my love handles and stretch marks are what make me yes. so hot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know,
2: they are because we're all fantastic people yes. and we're all hot. I'm and not. We all deserve our own I'm Josh Hartness.
3: <laughs> we do. Um, one very stupid tiny thing. I want to see my first, my first child after Eben. Because of this movie, that was how fucking oh, really? like dumb into this film I was. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's embarrassing that's now that awesome. I think back upon it. I'd be like, I wanted to name a child after a character in Thirty Days of Night. Like, thank God, I feel like I was a teenager, <laughs> and I no longer want children at this moment. But yes, so that's a fun story I like to tell people. It really showcase my where i my brain was at.
1: <laughs> I would say you know I would personally have no problem with it, except as someone named Lara who gets called Laura. All the time, I would know that any child named Evan would get called Evan or Ethan mm-hmm. all the time. And yeah, I, I, I want to tell all prospective parents out there: don't name your name your child almost anything. Not a word that means something fucked up, and not a name that is so similar to a common name that they'll spend their whole life correcting people mm-hmm. or feeling awkward about correcting people. Because <laughs> that's my life. And it fucking blows. Aww. fucking blows ass. Okay, I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm being dramatic, but just, just don't do it, parents. Just Aww.
2: don't do it. I was good. I wanted to name my kids Nick and Franny from the stand and a dog, stew no. <laughs> so I join you in my naming children weird
1: things. I'm alone.
0: I wanted to name Ada Clubberlang after That's Mr. T's up. character in Rocky 3 <laughs>
1: I don't support this. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. I just wanted to come down really hard on this. Tell me how
0: you really feel. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't really feel... I just okay. wanted to... edge Lord Laura really over way here. Too upset. Oh. <laughs> I just really... I, I like getting way too upset about uh, really stupid Baby things. I just, it's funny Baby, like, Baby
0: name just what does it.
1: Yeah. Like animals but also, with Ada, people names. <laughs> Yes, well, my da- I have my dog, David. Ada is a great name, though. It's so cute. It's such a cute little name. <laughs> Wait, did your dog's name is David? Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. Yeah, Dave. Uh, his full name in my own brain, and no one else's, is Larry David. His shelter name was David, and I took one look at him when he walked out when I was going to foster him, and he just kind of, you know, eored out into the lobby, <laughs> and I was like, that's a Dave. Aww. That's just a straight-up Dave, Aww. and it stuck, and uh, he's... He's my baby. He's
2: my little gloomy baby. Ah, And now it's time for an uplifting moment. And this is where we share any grounding and coping techniques we've been using or any self-care that's been working for us recently. Uh, Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, practices, or mantras that help us get through the hard days and moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better. And part of my self-care has been looking at Josh Hartnett um, this week and, you know, looking at him inside my brain and looking at him in this movie. And, you know, I also did some IMDb (laughs) scrolling, which was fun. Um, (laughs) But I also uh, got Spotify, and I think I'm the last person on earth to get Spotify. The Apple podcast app pissed me off one too many times, and I was like, fuck you. And so I got Spotify, and I love it, and I, it's like I'm just diving into all of these these songs that I loved from my childhood that I haven't listened to in years. Like the glory of love by Peter Cetera, which is a fantastic song. And that Peter Cetera. Okay. There's a Peter Cetera theme, but Peter Cetera and Cher duet from that chances are movie. And like, I even listened to somewhere out there the other day and it was just like, it's just been heaven. And I'm like, Oh, and I don't have to like buy the song. And it's just, I just love it. So yes. Thank you. Spotify. (laughs) My playlist is not the coolest, but it is emotional.
1: <laughs> I uh, I also like making Spotify playlists just because they're so easy to throw together. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself to still pay for things, so I'm not exploiting artists. However, I use it constantly, so I am. But I just made a playlist this week. That was a good gloomy walking around playlist. But I was thinking about the song Sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny, which is that like slide guitar. 50s like (laughs) Um, this is not good I'll stop doing it but I made a whole playlist just (laughs) themed around that song and I pulled a lot off the Blue Velvet soundtrack so I was walking around at one point this week doing my little mental health walks just my self-care is reminding myself that I have to fucking walk (laughs) and I was wearing a blue velvet t-shirt and like singing along to in dreams and blue velvet and I'm like this is weird if anyone knew what I was listening to while wearing this t-shirt it would make me a freak (laughs) yeah I really love this playlist I put together it's uh it's just so good and it's so like saccharine 50s and I've I've mixed in some like world music on there it's just a vibe it's a real vibe that's my self-care
0: yeah so I'm Just back from a week on the Cape, like it was a trip we booked a year ago at the height (laughs) of the pandemic because we just needed something to look forward to. I think I've talked about this before. Like I'm a big believer when you're going through a stressful time of like writing down something you're looking forward to and kind Mm -hmm. of carrying that with you. It's like a psychological tool to kind of help yourself feel better. And it was a vacation where like a lot of things went wrong, but it was also like a perfect vacation. Like we left it started and ended with like torrential tropical storms for our beach vacation but and also like my knee surgery that was supposed to be like oh yeah within like three or four days of having it you'll be up and running again to oh actually you're gonna need about two months of physical therapy twice Mm. a week so trying to get around was not especially trying to walk on sand um Mm. wasn't a lot of fun and my wife's surgically repaired wrist is like really hurting her but in this and we couldn't get to the beach a couple times because like all the lots were sold out but Mm. we ended up being like right on a private lake with a little sandy beach and it was really quiet and awesome and even the things that went wrong like for the fourth of july we walked down to see some fireworks over the bay and we walked in the wrong direction and then had to walk back and ended up about 100 yards from where we parked Um, and my knee was in so much pain I wanted to just go home Uh, and not like to the cottage but to home but it was still like once you got over that like it was just a, a great week to like recharge the battery a bit and be like yeah Oh, we also found out the person we rented the cottage from was let go of his job teaching for harassing young women at the school, too. So we oh. found that out after my wife Googled him.
1: Um, so <laughs> we're like, oh, shit. So
0: then we had to look for cameras. In yeah. The place we we were see a little the rent. Bit like,
1: is there P cams in yeah. this? And like, So, yeah. like, so all
0: these things. But, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> <That's> Yeah. So- <laughs> It was one of those things where, like, I'm really grateful for my wife and daughter because, like, it ended up being, like, when we got in the car to leave, I'm like, this was pretty much a perfect vacation, all things considered. And I definitely needed that. Like, the past year at work has been very, very stressful. So it just felt nice to, like, have that and be a little grateful for the people that I have in my life that made it great. So, yeah, that was my self-care for the week
3: my self-care which has really been my self-care for the entire pandemic has been watching the Real Housewives franchise while sitting in a bathtub full of <laughs> bubbles
2: oh that sounds amazing
3: like bubble baths have become my like because my job this year and the past of the past couple of weeks has been exceptionally stressful and I just like cannot use my brain after work so I watch garbage reality television and just sit in a bath and recalibrate for the evening and it's great mm-hmm. that is my favorite form of self-care that I've been doing the past
2: oh that
1: sounds lovely i love it yeah. i'm a Excellent. big fan of garbage reality tv for just like you just need to have a dead brain mm-hmm. filled with white noise yes. garbage reality tv is the thing
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, that was why I watched Barefoot Contessa Tessa for like months, which is not really garbage, but it's just like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, you just have to turn your brain off, especially Mm -hmm. when you watch stuff that you're either going to talk about or write about, you know? Yep. It's so nice to just watch something and know I don't have to form an opinion on this. I can just (laughs) enjoy it, you know?
3: Exact yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like whenever I watch a horror movie now, I feel like I have to focus on it all but like and write things about it and I can't just watch it without like shutting mm-hmm. off my brain. So yeah.
2: Uh Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I will find myself because when I take notes on a horror movie, I really write down every single thing that happens. And like sometimes even have to stop myself from just writing down the quotes. And I think it's just the way I process, you know, and sometimes I will have to like Mm -hmm. I'll find my brain thinking, okay, like, what did they say? What did they say? And then trying to get it down, you know, and I'll have to like shift my brain out of that. Um, But yeah. But I also had the experience of watching a horror movie that I wasn't writing about. And then this panic of like never getting another pitch accepted. I'm like, oh, my God, I should be writing about this. So, you know, there's a bit of a balance I'm having to find now. But yeah. Um, Well, we want to hear from you. Um, Do you own a snowplow? Is your granny secretly growing weed? And do you love Josh Hartnett? Please send me pictures. Um, what's your current self care? <laughs> um, or is anything else that's on your mind? You can share all of this and more by following us at PsychoApod on all the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's a private and moderated group where we can talk about things discussed in episodes, mental health, and anything else that's going on. And you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you would like to share privately. And if you have a moment, please leave us a random review at Apple iTunes. It really helps people find the pod. And it makes us feel good. Um, So thank you to those who have already left reviews. It really means a lot to us. And um, before I share our homework question, Mike, do you want to say anything about Patreon?
0: Yeah, we just want to encourage our listeners, you know, because we are a podcast in 2021, we do have a (laughs) Patreon now. (laughs) where we are putting up bonus content, where we're doing like Q and A's with our listeners. And I think we now have enough to do this month. We got a bunch of good questions. Oh, nice. We do uh, what I do something called the, what am I calling it? Medicine cabinet. Yeah. We're doing the medicine cabinet where we're giving our recommendations. And then every month, like I'm doing like an analysis on a character from a horror movie Uh, what the symptoms are for a diagnosis and like what a potential treatment might be. So, we have stuff up there at every single level. There is a super duper tier at like fifty bucks where you get to like pick the movie and the topic. And we already have a couple persons lined up for that.
2: Mm-hmm. And, they and I'm ridiculous us- excited about one of the movies that we're going to watch.
0: Sorry. Yeah, um, it's going to be great. So um, if you were some of the like, why aren't you covering X? Like, well, here is your chance. So mm-hmm. go to patreon.com/psychoanalysispod our psychoanalysis podcast, and you can find us there. And I think that the tiers are relatively inexpensive and mm-hmm. at every tier you get some bonus stuff um, because I think that's, that's really fair. So thank you to our patrons so far. Like we've done very little to promote it and it mm-hmm. seems to be going surprisingly well. So we really appreciate that. Um, yes, and I can I'll say like you mentioned this with Spotify, like, In Mary Beth, this is something you know, doing two shows and, you know, Jen, you know, because you do so much of like the background work for this show and stitching it together. Like, it's a lot of work to do this shit. (laughs) Um, It is a lot. It is. I would say like for... I know from my other show, like a two hour episode, probably about 15 to 20 hours goes into producing each one. And there does come a point, especially right now with podcasts. I know like Pat and Oswalt, like announced a couple weeks ago, like, I have a podcast coming out. You're like, great. Another celebrity with a massive <laughs> fan base and a marketing uh-huh. team behind him. Mm. <laughs> like, that's awesome. It's like a space that's getting like quickly. It's getting, like, oversaturated with, like, people with massive fan bases and, like, independent shows um, get squeezed out of that market. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything we can do to, like, throw money at promoting it or improving it, it helps. It Mm -hmm. really, really helps. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So pay up, you freeloading sons of bitches. (laughs) All right, Jen, edit that part, Jen, if you want. I probably will.
2: Yeah, this is the point of the Patreon app where I feel uncomfortable and
1: codependent.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I mean, we understand if that's not in your budget right now. And another way that you can really, really help us is just leaving a rate and review. It
1: does really Yeah, the reviews go a long way. Make sure they're good. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes, yes.
2: Um, <laughs> and so our homework question for today is: Have you left us a random review yet? I'm sorry, that's not our homework question. <laughs> um, but our question is: um, What is your favorite depiction of vampires in film or TV or in the horror genre? I guess novels could count too, or fiction. Um, yeah, just
1: all media, mm-hmm. all vampires, all media. Yeah. What's your favorite?
2: And if you want a little extra credit, send me a picture of Josh Hartnett. Um, and that's all I'll say about that.
1: Send Jen, uh, Jen manga <laughs> fan <laughs> art of Josh Hartnett as a vampire.
3: <laughs> oh. I'm going to find that now. I will oh, find I'm that. I'm sure and I will it exists. <laughs> it exists 100%. I will <laughs> it has to. I,
2: I would be so happy. So what are we watching next? Well. It's another fifth Thursday of the month, and whenever those roll around, we like to do something a little bit special. Last time we did a listener feedback episode, and this time we are going to try our hands at a commentary, and so we have decided to watch Fear Street. Yay for our commentary because uh, just so much to talk about, and it's so much fun, um, and we did a poll Um, So a little bit of breaking news about whether we are going to do Fear Street 1994 or Fear Street 1978. And we put a poll on Twitter and it's technically not closed off yet, but I just wanted to um, beep, 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 breaking news. Um, (laughs) The winner of the poll so far is Fear Street 1994. So you don't actually have to do any homework this time. Um, You can just wait for that episode to drop and then you can push play along with us. So I'm really, really excited to sing a bunch of songs from my mixtapes and my childhood and really, really excited.
1: Yeah, we will sing along with all the many, many songs that they include in the in the film. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> yes, I might rap. Um, so we are a member yeah. of the Con- <laughs> we are a member of the Consequence podcast network. You can find us along with some other fantastic pods by going to consequence.com. And Mary Beth, where can we find you online and what's coming up for Scarf for Life and Watched Once Never Again?
3: So you can find me on Twitter at MB MBMcAndrews. I actually just wrote an article for Film School Rejects where I ranked all 19 of The Needle Drops in Career Street 1994. Yay. So you can find that on my Twitter. Yes. We'll be um, using that for can...
2: reference. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it took way – I don't know why I did not think it was going to take that long. It took fucking forever. And I should have just assumed <laughs> that. But here I am.
2: They're just rapid fire, you know? <laughs>
3: They're rapid fire, exactly. But I also co-host Scarred for Life, which you can find on Twitter at Scarred Podcast, where my co-host Harry and I talk to people in the horror community about the films that scared them as kids. And then you can find Watched Once Never Again on Twitter at Wona, W-O-N-A Podcast, where my co-host Alex Bobbin and I talk about disturbing Movies in cinema, not just horror, and so you don't have to watch them yourselves. So I've got lots of things going on. Follow them all across Twitter. That's awesome. So great.
2: And I saw you just covered Sallow, which is fantastic because I am way too scared to watch that movie, but I am fascinated by it, you know?
3: Same. Oh. Yeah, it sucks. It's yeah, one for um, the kids. It's not. It's Yeah, it's a great uh, family movie. Really highly recommend it as your kid's introduction to the horror genre. I would really start them off on. There, so.
1: <laughs> That's um, the one I send to all that- my coworkers when they ask me for <laughs> film recommendations. I go, mm, have That's I awesome. got something for you?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> have I got
1: something for all film fans? It's called Solo. <laughs> right. <laughs> great. <laughs> That's a, a uh, movie I've read everything about, but we'll just never watch. No, so yeah. thank you for, yes. for your
3: duty.
2: <laughs> yes. Thank you. Mike, where can we find you?
0: So you can find me uh, over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can find my other show, The Pod and The Pendulum, coming out every other week, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, it's up there. That's where we cover all horror movie franchises. And right now we're doing a deep dive into The Conjuring-verse. Our last episode that's up, we had Mishna Wolf, who just wrote uh, Werewolves Within. Like She was our guest to talk about her new movie, as well as The Conjuring 2. And I have an article up right now on We Are Horror Zines, or if you're a Patreon for them, You can read kind of my thoughts on early 2000s horror and how it reflected the country's anxieties after 9-11. It's
1: perfectly thematically linked right here. It's it's
0: kismet, I think, is what that would be. (laughs) Yes. And then I've done like some guest spots lately. I've done like Certified Forgotten, The Bloody Blunts. Horror Club podcast. We talk about exorcism movies, or we did the Last Exorcism, which is one of my favorite movies, and the Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a movie that I saw. (laughs) And yeah, so go ahead and look those things up.
2: Laura, where can we find you?
1: Uh, You can (laughs) find me, (laughs) find me on Twitter at Underalls. U n d e r a l l s. Much like the long johns you throw on for those cold, long winter nights, and, you, and then, you, then you realize you've been wearing them for 30 nights and 30 days because time <laughs> has no meaning, and there's, there's sweat stains, and you, you know they smell real bad. <laughs> That's at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S on Twitter. Uh, I'm occasionally also on the Losers Club, Stephen King's favorite Stephen King podcast, and Halloweenies <laughs> as well. That's all I'm doing with my life. Otherwise, I, I I just slap myself back into the wall like a Murphy bed and uh, <laughs> cease existing. So Aww. that's me. But living on in our hearts and minds. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club. Um, And we are wrapping up our coverage of Lisi's story and about to record a Donce Macabre episode on Lord of the Flies. So I am frantically finishing my notes on that. So I'm excited about that. And um, you can also find me, I don't, I still feel so weird about this thing. Um, You can find me writing the Strong Female Antagonist blog, which I am still kind of kind of trying to get my feet underneath me for that, but looking to start doing some more content there with some more reviews and um, just essays and stuff. So yeah, follow me to see links for that stuff. And yeah, lots of other fun stuff. So that's me and that's where you can find me. Ah, and that's our episode on 30 Days of Night. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about Josh Hartnett. And this was just so much fun.
3: Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about this movie that I was like creepily obsessed with as a child and still love very much in my heart. I know it has problems, but it will forever be one of my all time favorite comfort movies slash all time favorite movies. I don't care. <laughs> this is my truth and I will live it.
1: <laughs> I love it. I support it this. Yes. I support. Absolutely. you truth.
2: And <laughs> listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves, and we're all All out of of Bubblegum. bubblegum!